0: Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's word? I wanna invite your attention to the book of Judges. We're going to spend the next several weeks in Judges. There are things that we can learn from Judges, uh, from a practical standpoint, a practical practice of religion, uh, and about our relationship with God and how it plays itself out in our relationships with one another. We're not gonna start in Judges chapter one, we're gonna start in Judges chapter two. So I'm asking you to turn to Judges chapter two, verses 11, through 19, who are the Judges? What, what do you know about Judges, other than the fact that it's the book that comes after Joshua in the Bible? Judges were those that God set aside, that God divinely appointed to lead various tribes of Israel Uh, during an interim period of time that lasted approximately 300 years. Uh, The judges were uh, responsible, were called by God, and responsible for leading the people of Israel, the tribes of Israel that they were responsible for, uh, out of some danger that they had gotten themselves into uh, and uh, encouraged them to restore their relationship with God. It lasted with each judge for a brief period of time. And the moment the judge died, the next thing that you read is that the, the, the children of Israel went right back to doing the things that they were doing. Sound familiar,
1: doesn't
0: it? <laughs> One of the things that, 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 that you need to recognize, uh, just for the sake of accuracy, is that when we say judge of Israel, that's not entirely correct. It's a judge of a particular tribe or group of tribes of Israel. Israel was not a united nation until the time of King Saul. Before that time, Israel was a confederation of tribes. They were known better as the children of Israel If you recall back in Genesis, when we studied Genesis not so long ago, when uh, Jacob died, Jacob called all of his sons together, and he gave each one of them a certain responsibility. When the children of Israel went into the Promised Land, uh, each tribe, with the exception of the tribe of Levi, was given a plot of ground, a, a, a place within the Promised Land that they were to settle. And so Israel was not so much a unified nation as they were a confederation of tribes. They were blood kin to one another. But as we will find as we go through Judges, they even warred with one another. One tribe warred against another. W-A-R-R-E-D, warred against another. So there was no such thing as a united Israel during this time. There were judges that were over the various tribes. Now, some judges are very prominent. If, if, if I were to say Deborah, you'd know who she is. If I were to say Gideon, you'd know who he is. If I were to say Samson, you'd know who he is. Other judges are not very well known at all. In fact, some judges only mentioned in, a, in, in as few as a single verse, some in one or two verses. We're not gonna cover all of them. There are 14 of them listed in Judges. Uh, But we are going to cover some of the more prominent events that took place uh, with uh, some of the more better known judges. Uh, We don't know who wrote judges. Some people want to say that Samuel wrote judges. Samuel is listed as the last judge of Israel. Samuel was the one who made the transition from being a judge to having a monarchy. Uh, when, when, when the children of Israel came to him and said, your sons are corrupt, we don't want them to be judges over us, other nations have kings. We want kings like other nations. Samuel gets upset, gets mad, tells him no. God comes back to Samuel and says, give them what they want. They're not uh, uh, rejecting you, they're actually rejecting me and they're going to rule the day that they asked for it. And boy, did they rule the day that they asked. But some, some say that Samuel wrote Judges. We can't say that for sure. We, we have no way of knowing. We do know that the book as we understand it came into its final uh, uh, formation around the time of Saul's coronation, which would be around the year 1051 B.C. But it covers the period of time between 1390 and And 1090 BC. The point of the book, or the theology of the book, is the thing that draws us to it. And the theology of the book is clear Yahweh is the covenant God who delivers his people from various predicaments that he allows. But that they instigated. And it's important that we understand the difference between God allowing and us instigating. Look at the scripture Judges chapter 2, starting with verse 11. First verses of chapter 2 give us the death of Joshua. Starting with verse 11. The people of Israel did evil in God's sight. They served Baal gods. They deserted God, the God of their parents who had led them out of Egypt. They took up with other gods, gods of the peoples around them. They actually worshiped them, and oh how they angered God as they worshiped God Baal and goddess Astarte. God's anger was hot against Israel. He handed them off to plunderers, who stripped them. He sold them cheap to enemies on all sides. They were helpless before their enemies. Every time they walked out the door, God was with them. But for evil, just as God had said, just as he had sworn he would do, they were in a bad way. But then God raised up judges who saved them from their plunderings. But they wouldn't listen to their judges. They prostituted themselves to other gods, worshipped them. They lost no time leaving the road walked by their parents, the road of obedience to God's commands. They refused to have anything to do with it. When God was setting up judges for them, he would be right there with the judge. He would save them from their enemies' oppression as long as the judge was alive for God was moved to compassion when he heard their groaning because of those who afflicted and beat them. But when the judge died, the people went right back to their old ways, but even worse than their parents. Running after other gods, serving and worshiping them, stubborn as mules, they didn't drop a single evil practice. If you want to have a a, a synoptic brief understanding of the theology of judges, it is simply this. God allows his people to suffer because they chose to walk away from him. That's the judgment of God, but in his compassion after a period of time, he sends someone to be the physical leader to bring them back. But always, it's God who actually does the delivering. It's important that you understand that. In every single case where there is deliverance, the scripture says that it is God who does the deliverance. Which says what? That while God will use people to accomplish his will, the people can't do anything unless God is with them. Judges shows us the downward progression of humanity. Judges reminds us that even though we have been given every opportunity to do right, we'll still choose to do wrong anyway. What is it about us that God can set us up in the best of situations and after a while we get bored with how good God has been to us and we decide that we want to do something else that that that, that's a pragmatic question somebody in here is in a position better than he's ever been in before or ever thought that you would be in when you were coming up wherever it was that you grew up whether it be in the country or in the city no matter what age you are I'm pretty sure you had no idea that you were gonna be in the place where you are now where the Lord has blessed you materially, where the Lord has blessed you economically, where the Lord has blessed you with regard to your family, with regard to your talents and your abilities. God has blessed you immensely. And yet, in spite of how good God has been to us, everybody in here, if you're honest, will acknowledge that in spite of God's blessing. We went off and did something that we ain't had no business doing, and we knew it when we did it. I just got out there and I didn't know it. I, no 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 no. You 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 knew it when you did it. What is it about us that we want to push the limits of God? That we want to move beyond? where God has allowed us to be. What is it about us that, that we can't be satisfied when God puts us in a place where we're blessed and where we're prospering and, and, and where we are enjoying life and we just see something over there and, and we just wanna believe that that over there is so much better than what you have right now. It's a sad reality that, that Part of the human condition, apart from God, is that we're never satisfied with what we've got. We're always looking for something else. It is part of the downward spiral of our relationship with God. It is not just a physical condition. It is not just an emotional condition. It is also a spiritual condition read what the text says again it says that the children the children of those whom god blessed had no appreciation for the blessing that god gave them do i have a parent in here or a grandparent in here or perhaps even A great-grandparent in here who has a child grandchild or great-grandchild who has no you you ain't got to raise your hand who has no appreciation for how the Lord has blessed you how the Lord has blessed them how the Lord has allowed you to be a blessing to them and they talk like they know something, and they don't know anything at all. I was with my niece the other day, and she's gonna get mad, so I ain't gonna say which niece it was. Uh, but, but, but I was with my niece the other day, and I asked her, how, how, how you doing? Oh, I'm just tired, Uncle Fred. And I said, tired of what? I'm just tired of living. And I started laughing. I said, you ain't started to live yet. You ain't done nothing yet. Well, you don't understand. Just because I haven't had your experience doesn't mean that my experience is gonna... I said, come back to me. If I'm still alive, come back to me when somebody is responding, is is depending on you to take care of them. And you don't know how you are gonna do it. And you ain't got nobody you can call on but the Lord. Then come tell me how tired you are. You work two hours a day and you gonna talk about it. You tired? Now I understand. they They ain't done nothing. They ain't never lived. So. So they think that whenever they've done any little thing, it means that they have done something great. No, but, but, but what it shows is that succeeding generations, as much as you wanna do for them, it's hard for them to appreciate what you've gone through because they hadn't gone through it. Somebody in here was raised in the country, and some, some of y'all are old enough to know about what it is to be raised in the country. and You ain't have all of the, 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 the luxuries that you now have. Some, somebody remembers having to go outside to use facilities. I said it in a nice way. So, 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 somebody remembers that. But when you try to explain that to people who have never experienced it, other than saying, for true, <laughs> for real, they ain't got nothing else to say. And, and, and they have no, everything that you provide for them is something that for them is normal. And for you is brand new. See, some of y'all remember when electricity came into the house. And, 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 and now these children don't know what it is to not have electricity and all telephones. Everybody got their own phone. You remember when there was one phone? Party lines. When you lied to the phone company making collect calls, We, 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 we went to Tucson every year, when we, and when we drove back from Tucson, my mother would call her mother to let her know that we got back to Tucson. But she called Collect. And she'd ask for herself. <laughs> and my grandmother would say, well, she's not here right now. That was the signal we got home, safe and sound. These children, everybody got their own phone. And they can do anything on a little piece of plastic in their hand. They can draw down from the world into the palm of their hand, nothing wrong with that. It's a wonderful thing that that, that we live in a world that has advanced that far. But you try to tell them about what it is that you came through in order to provide for them what they have right now, they have no appreciation for that. In the same way, these children of, of the Joshua generation had no appreciation for what God had done in order to help them secure the land that they were now in. They had no memory of having to trek from Egypt to Canaan. They had no memory of having to war with one tribe after another in order to secure the land and how God miraculously moved enemies and allowed them to dwell in this land. And when you have no frame of reference no appreciation for what the Lord has given you, you tend to take it for granted. And that's what happened here. The children of Israel, the various tribes of Israel took God for granted. It's bad enough when you take stuff for granted. It's worse when you take God for granted. The scripture says they did not follow the Lord as their parents did. They were not obedient to the teaching of God as their parents were. And as a result, they followed after other gods. That too is a problem that exists in, in our world today. Many Follow after other gods. There's a reason why in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. The first misstep in our downward spiral, in in, in our estrangement from God, starts when we start looking at others and make them gods instead of worshiping the true and the living God. Well, where did they look? They looked to their neighbors. They looked at what their neighbors were doing. Now, understand, Joshua, as good a man as he was, Joshua left some, some things that God told him to do undone. Forget the, 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 the morality of it. And I say, forget it, not as though it's unimportant, but we can sit in and have the argument about the morality of holy war all you want to. The scripture says, God told Joshua to clear the land of all its inhabitants, one way or another. Give the dwellers in the land the opportunity to surrender and give themselves over to you and make them your slaves. If they choose not to do that, then it is your responsibility to wipe them out. Move them out completely. Man, woman, child, livestock, crops, houses, tear down everything. You want to have a moral argument about that? We'll do that some other time. But that's what the Lord said do. Joshua employed his own thoughts on what God said do. And whenever we hear what God has to say, and we choose to tell God, I got a better idea, It's the first step in the downward spiral that leads to our estrangement from God. It is not a ridiculous statement to make that the reason why these descendants looked at the Canaanites that were in the land, that were worshiping other gods, the reason why they could do that was because Joshua failed to do what he was told to do. Joshua left certain things undone. A word to this generation, don't leave undone what God has called you to do, because if you leave undone what God has given you to do, you are leaving a mess for somebody else to clean up. Do all, and somebody said, say, well, I'm old, I can't do What I used to. That's not Joshua's excuse. And by the way, it ain't yours either. Because I've seen y'all. Y'all can do anything y'all want to do. Amen. That wasn't Joshua's excuse. It wasn't that he got too old. It wasn't that he got too frail. It's that Joshua decided on his own. Without referencing God. Without going to God in prayer. Joshua decided on his own. I ain't going to kill these folks. I'm going to let them stay. We're going to make alliances with these people over here. Have you not read enough scripture to know that the beginning of the end is always when we decide we are gonna do it the way we wanna do it? As opposed to the way God tells us to do it? Abraham is told by God, go into a land that I will show you. And faithfully, Abraham follows God's direction. He goes, builds altars everywhere he's going to go. But when a famine hits, abraham decides god didn't tell abraham go to egypt abraham decides i'm going down to egypt and on his way to egypt he tells sarah you tell this lie." it was the beginning of the end whenever whenever we substitute our way of thinking to what god has said do then it's the beginning of the end it's the beginning of of our estrangement from god these children were disobedient and they looked to the other nations the nations that joshua was supposed to take care of but because joshua allowed them to stay and allowed them to thrive in the land allowed them to prosper in the land they started looking at what they were doing and they said you know what i kind of like what they do i want to do what they're doing i i i don't see no harm In doing what they do, it's always a mistake when you don't see no harm. Disobedience is the first step towards estrangement. They looked at the gods of the Canaanites. Baal was the male god, Ashtarte was the female god. And they wanted to worship those gods. And as a result, they engaged in behavior that God, Yahweh, Jehovah, had said was wrong. Now, what comes on the heels of that? Read it, and I want you to see exactly what it says. They actually worshiped them, and oh, how they angered God as they worshiped God, Baal, and goddess as Tarte. God's anger was hot against Israel. He handed them off to plunderers who stripped them. Do you see that? He sold them cheap to enemies on all sides. Every time they walked out the door, God was with them but for evil. Now, you're sitting in here and you say, well, that can't be right because God doesn't, doesn't do evil. Two things you need to understand. Number one, ancient Hebrew theology is very different from New Testament Christian theology. Ancient Hebrew theology, especially early ancient Hebrew theology, had no concept of the devil the way you and I know him. So then whether something good happened or something bad happened, it was all attributable to one and that one was God. And so what is written here in Judges is in complete consistency with ancient Hebrew theology at that time. And what it simply says is this, God said, I told you to do it this way. You thought better and decided to do it that way. Now let me show you what happens when you do it your way instead of doing it my way. We're Christian. We believe that there is a devil. We believe that there is a Satan. We believe that there is a hell. I know you say, well, the the Old Testament teaches that. No, it really does not. The Old Testament says that that while there is a tempter, that there is no hell, there is a shield an abode of the dead. And and all, everybody, when they die, go to the same place. That's That's what Job talks about. When he says, hide me in the grave, and all of my appointed time I will wait until my change comes. You know, we, 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 we bleed that into our Christian theology. If you've ever been to a funeral, we say some confusing stuff at funerals. We'll say in one breath, I know so and so is with the Lord right now, and and they're, they're around the throne and they're praising the Lord. And then when we get ready to sit down, we say, sleep on. Take your rest. We'll see you in the morning. And, 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 and I'm sitting there saying, now, which one is it? Are they around the throne? Or are they sleeping? Well, that, didn't, that doesn't come about by accident. That comes about because there is an old testament teaching about what happens when you die and there is a new testament teaching about what happens when you die and the two are very different in fact there are places in the new testament where paul leans on old testament teaching y'all like to read thessalonians what is it first thessalonians chapter four we shall all be caught up in the air and 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 those who died uh who, who are left Will have the same blessing as those who died. First. That ain't what Jesus said. When the thief is on the cross. And the thief says to Jesus. Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom. What is Jesus' response? Today. This day. Not by and by when the morning comes. This day. You will be with me. In paradise. Now. My point is, 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 I could do a whole thing on that. But, but my point is there is a difference in Old Testament theology and New Testament theology. And while we are New Testament Christians, we're reading an Old Testament ancient Hebrew book. And you have to read it from the standpoint of the theology that's there. So when it says that God allowed these things to happen, that God caused these things to happen, that was Consistent with the theology of that time when it says that every time they walked out the door, God was with them. But for evil, that's not an accident. That's not a typographical error. That was according to the theology of that time. And what it essentially says is if you anger God, then you will see what the wrath of God can do. Now, you're not comfortable with that. And I know you're not comfortable with that. So, so, so let, let, let me Christianize it for you <laughs> to, 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 to make you more comfortable with it. God puts his arms of protection around us. He enfolds us in his love. When we come to accept Jesus Christ as our savior, he enfolds us in his love. Jesus says that he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is with us at all times. Never leave, never forsake. I will give uh, the comforter who will be with you always. But the fact that the Holy Spirit is with us, indwells us, does not mean that the Holy Spirit is always in control. And when the Holy Spirit is not in control, we do things, say things, think things that we have no business doing, saying, or thinking. And when that happens, even though the Holy Spirit is with us, the Holy Spirit steps back. And leaves you on the throne of your own heart by yourself. The intention is not to hurt. The intention is to remind. Y'all know, uh, Demetria and I got two new puppies, right? Come talk to me one day about (laughs) uh, 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 about what what we are discovering with puppies. I don't know whether we're training the puppies or the puppies are training us. I'm pretty sure the puppies are training us. But, but, But when we try, I won't put it on her, when I try to Train the puppies. I'm suppo- when, when they do their business in places they ain't supposed to do their business, I've been told a routine that I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to pick the dog up. I'm supposed to put the dog's nose into what they have done. I'm supposed to say, bad dog. And then I'm supposed to take the puppy to where the puppy is supposed to do what he's doing And I'm supposed to sit the puppy down and I'm supposed to say, pee pee here. (laughs) We've had the dogs about a month. (laughs) Pee pee here ain't working. Ain't working. So the other day, after I had picked up what they had done and within five minutes they had gone back to the same spot and did it again, I didn't pick them up and I didn't put their nose in it. I grabbed a newspaper and I balled it up as tight as I could and I was like a crazy person chasing two puppies around, swinging Now you're saying, what in the world does that have to do with what you were talking about? God will take his hands off you. If, if, if you decide you're gonna do your thing yeah. instead of his thing, yes, God, God will tell you, God, God, God will let you know. He'll say, he'll warn you. And he'll warn you more than once. But at some point, God's gonna be like a crazy person with a newspaper. God's gonna leave you out there and you're gonna have to fend for yourself. Now, the point of that is to remind you of just how good it is when you are enfolded in the love of God. Does that make sense to anybody besides me? You you, you have to be reminded from time to time. So when, when, when the scripture says that God allowed plunderers to strip them and he allowed enemies to come and have their way with him. It was not designed to destroy. It was designed to correct. It was designed to improve. It was designed to elicit a particular response. And the response that God wanted was, Lord, help me. I messed up and I need help. And when they got to that point, the scripture says God would send judges. And the judges would, would lead them to where he wants them to be. A couple points I want you to see here. Number one, while God allows discipline, even harsh discipline. We must always recognize that the instigators of discipline is not God, it's us. Wouldn't need no discipline if you did what you were supposed to do. But what exactly is it that I'm supposed to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If you put that into practice, no discipline is necessary. Discipline comes about because we choose on our own to either withdraw from our love of God or withdraw from our love for one another. And Jesus teaches Matthew chapter 25, that withdrawing from one another is tantamount to withdrawing from him. What you've done or what you failed to do to the least, you have done or failed to do to me. So that's the first thing we need to recognize. The reason why the discipline was necessary is not because God is a mean God but because we are selfish individuals who choose our way as opposed to his way. Second thing you need to remember is that while God respects our right of choice, we have to understand that there are consequences for the choices that we make. You can't continue to do wrong and think that there will never be a consequence For the wrong that you have done be not deceived god is not mocked whatever a man sows that shall he also reap so you can't on the one hand say well god i want to do it my way he'll let you do it your way you are made a free moral agent. You have the freedom of choice. God will let you not worship him. God will let you be disobedient to him. But on the back end, what you have to understand is there's a consequence. I said just a minute ago, it could, it could be argued and I think I could argue it very well that the reason why the children of Israel wandered off into idol worship is because Joshua didn't get rid of the idol worshiping people the way God told him to. Now you can sit there and say, well, they would have found something else to do. Maybe so, but it wouldn't have been that. And it wouldn't have been that because those people would no longer have been doing what they were doing. People, Will do what they want to do, but they don't want to pay the price for what they do. Can't have it both ways. You have to recognize that there are consequences for your actions. And if you choose to live contrary to God's will, then you forfeit any claim that you might want to make regarding. His provision or protection. Now, what does that mean? That means that once it's forfeited, you don't get it back. You can't earn it back. The only way you get it back is that He chooses to do it anyway. Not because of you, but because of Him. That's the next thing I want you to say. But then, verse 16, but then God raised up judges. Who saved them from their plunderers. But then. But then. It does not say they cried out to the Lord. Says he heard their groaning. But it does not say they cried out to the Lord. It does not say that they repented. It says God in his compassion. Decided I'm going to save you in spite of you. Let me go back to my parents and my grandparents and my great grandparents. You got a child who just won't do right. Again, you ain't got to raise your hand. You got a grandchild who just won't do right. You got a great grandchild who just won't do right. Have you made the speech, if you get taken by the police and you go to jail, don't call me, cause I ain't coming to get you. Have you made that speech? I pray to God you've never had to get the call. But I can tell you, I know people who have. And when they got the call, in spite of what they say, in spite of what the child did, they win. Not because the child earned it, but because it was their child. God blesses us not because of us but because of him we need to recognize that when God blesses us it ain't because you're just the most special wonderful person in the world it's because his character is such that he will bless you even when you don't deserve the blessing everybody in here is, is experiencing the undeserved blessing from God. You know how I know? Because you're in here. God woke you up this morning and ain't because you were so wonderful yesterday. But in spite of how low down you were yesterday, God woke you up and God blessed you with health and strength and sanity and all of the material things that you need in order to, to do. And you, y'all got stuff planned for today. Y'all looking at your watches, how much time we got left in here? I can't see the clock because I took the glasses off, so I don't know how much time I got. But, but, but y'all, y'all, y'all got stuff planned for what you gonna do with the rest of your day. Like you got control over what's gonna happen in your day. Do you know you ain't got no control at all? If you get to 1 o'clock, if you get to be able to get out of here and get in your car and go wherever it is you planned on doing, you ought to say, Thank you, Jesus, every step of the way. Because God blesses you not because of you, but because of Him. It says, But then. God raised up judges to save them from their plunders. Now, that's a good but. Look at the but that comes after that. But they wouldn't listen to their judges. They prostituted themselves to other gods, worshipped them. They lost no time leaving the road, walked by their parents, the road of obedience to God's commands. They refused to have anything to do with it. Unfortunately, it is, it is sometimes difficult for us to understand how people can constantly be blessed by God and then turn away from God. God, get me out of this, and I'll never do it again. And God get you out. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're right back in it. Again. Now, some people will say, well, you know, I couldn't help myself. And, and, and I imagine that there are some things that are difficult for you to stop doing. But there's help out there. Here's your problem. You don't want to acknowledge that you need help you don't want to seek the help that you need. If you know that what you're doing is contrary to the will of God, there's help out there. And I'm not just talking about spiritual help. There there is nothing wrong with seeking help from professionals who can provide help. What's wrong is when y'all turn on Oprah and Dr. Phil and think you're gonna get your help How many different judge shows are there? Y'all sit there and watch every judge show on that, like the judge going, that judge going help you. No, that judge can't help you. But there, there are people out there who can help you. You got to put yourselves in a state where you are willing to be helped. You can't constantly just do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Now now normally when I'm I'm talking about this, I talk about the fact that our forgiveness is supposed to be as often as someone does to us, then we're called upon to forgive. And y'all don't like that part because I can see your faces right now, even as I said that. But the flip side of that is you ought to get tired of needing somebody to forgive you all the time. You ought to get tired of doing wrong all the time where well, you always have to go back and tell somebody, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. First of all, they don't believe you. <laughs> What's this, the 25th time that you've said, I'm, I'm sorry? They, they, they don't believe you. But second, it's an indication that you're willful in your disobedience toward God. God sent judges to get them out of the mess that they were in. And the moment they got out, they went right back to it again. God will deliver. But God has an expectation of us. And that is, we will appreciate him in his deliverance. And that we will seek to draw closer to him going forward than we did in the past. It's a new year. Ooh, I'm letting y'all out early. It's a new year. There are things that you did in 2018 that you ought to be ashamed of. I'm pausing because I want you to think about that. There are things that you did. There are things that you said. There are places that you went that you ought to be ashamed of. And you, Hopefully, hopefully on New Year's Eve, you said, Lord, thank you for bringing me into a new year. And Lord, I'm going to do better in 2019 than I did in 2018. You're at the ninth, the ninth of January, and you've already started backtracking on some of what you have done. It's a matter of personal will, not to keep from doing wrong things, but to put your trust in the Lord. Getting better begins with letting go. I can't handle this by myself, Lord. I'm putting it in your hands. I I, I keep saying I'm gonna do this and I keep doing that. I'm putting it in your hands. And I'm trusting you and I'm asking you to help me deal with this situation, deal with that problem, deal with that weakness. And if you help me, then I know that I can get better. But it's important that you understand you ain't going to get better on your own. This idea, this humanist idea that every day in every way we are getting better and better and better. Have you paid attention to what's been going on? around you. We're not getting any better. Stuff, stuff that gets buried for a little while is not buried very deep and pretty soon it comes right back up again. We're dealing with racial issues and bigotry issues and discrimination issues and sexist issues and economic issues that previous generations thought they had fixed. And going forward, we might have different problems, but we won't have to deal with these problems. And here we are, as the old deacon used to say, once more and again, we're dealing with the same stuff. And it's because we have to get away from the idea that we can fix ourselves. The only one who can fix us is the new year. Are you looking for a church home? A church that will be welcoming to you and to your family, to your children? A church that is interested in meeting the needs of people. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, and I'm inviting you to come and share with us. Come check us out. You'll be glad that you did.
1: There's always a prayer aspect because uh, anytime you do something for the Lord, uh, you always want to seek His guidance. Uh, after, uh, after praying though, it's, it's a combination of things because uh, one, you want to, to try to unify your audience, uh, you want to unify them in a way that doesn't offend anybody, but at the same time you want to be able to offer like a fresh experience. Uh, so a lot of, uh, a lot of the, 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 the people that uh, we're ministering to goes into that, that factor. Uh, like, for instance, on First Sunday, uh, it's a mass choir Sunday, at least at, at the 11 a.m. service. So, I'm primarily focused more on the older generation. Uh, and we're, we're more inclined to do uh, material that, that that's dear to their hearts. Uh, you hear a lot of, a lot more hymns on First Sunday, uh, as opposed to maybe like the Second Sunday. Second Sunday is, is ge- uh, geared more towards our youth, our young adult, uh, and our children. So there'll be, a, uh, the music will change a little bit. It'll be a little more contemporary, a little bit more progressive. But at the same time, uh, not to alienate uh, anyone, we'll still come back and we'll have at least one hymn uh, to kind of get everybody uh, involved. And I think at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's that healthy mixture that kind of sets even this church apart from, uh, from other churches. Uh, other services, even even other denominations. Uh, we're not afraid to uh, to do contemporary music and in the same tone do a, a spiritual or a, a good old hymn, something like Amazing Grace or How, How Great Thou Art. Uh, and I think that all goes into our preparation process. The fact that we're just not afraid. We're, we'll try anything. <laughs>
0: When it comes to uh, African-American culture and the African-American community, uh, I have a lot of hope because there's a tremendous amount of talent that exists within uh, young African-American men and women. Uh, I am constantly uh, blown away and amazed by the level of uh, intelligence, uh, uh, academic acumen, drive uh, that uh, many of the young people here in this church uh, possess. Uh, and uh, I think that there is a lot that they can contribute uh, to the next generation uh, if they continue on the path that they're on. My fears though have to do with the fact that uh, for too many of us opportunities do not exist. uh, and opportunities have been cut short by uh, uncontrollable aspects of their lives, and, and in some cases, aspects of their lives that they indulged in that were completely controllable. Uh, being young is, is, is a wonderful thing. It's also a frightening thing, because uh, by virtue of the fact that you are young, you tend to make mistakes, uh, uh, you tend to exercise, poor judgment, you tend to think that you can do things uh, and get away with it or or do things that are bold uh, that uh, will not have any consequences. And more often than not, uh, you're caught up in the consequences and the consequences prove to be overwhelming. Uh, too many of our young people uh, are trying to make quick dollars uh, by doing things that are illegal, immoral, risky. Uh, Too many of our young people are caught up in environments uh, that have proven to be negative and they don't seem to find a way uh, to get out of those environments. They don't have adequate help, they don't have adequate guidance and counsel to get out of those negative environments. And the environment proves to be overwhelming and they're caught up in it. Uh, like a web and, and they're carried under. In many cases uh, talented young African-American people simply succumb to the environment and, and say this is this is my world and uh, I'm gonna navigate it as best I can for as long as I can. It's really troubling to me when I talk to young people uh, who don't expect to live to see 30 and uh, uh, that, that, that's a pretty hopeless way to live life, to expect to be gone by 30. As somebody who's about to turn 54, I really recognize now how young 30 is. And to see people uh, who don't have any real expectation of living to 30, let alone beyond 30, is very troubling to me. And these are not stupid people. These are people who simply have not been given the same opportunities to achieve and to succeed that others have been good.